Hey everyone, just a quick word before we get into today's episode. Uh, we're talking about Wendigos, and as we get into some of the sightings, they can be pretty graphic, so I just wanted to give a little warning about that. Also, if you're looking to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to share us around, uh, tell your friends, tell your family, you know, tell Rob Lowe, because uh, for some reason he doesn't want to come on the podcast, and I feel like he might really be the tipping point for us. So, that's all I've got. Uh, enjoy the episode. We talk a little bit about some short stories I wrote. If you are interested in reading them, you can go to MacAshton.com. They are entirely free, and you can check those out. Enjoy the episode. Welcome. This is... Got our eighth episode of season two of Cryptids Decrypted, the podcast where uh, me and my buddies, we break down the myths and legends that we all know so well, and then we talk about whether or not they're truth or bullshit. Today we're covering something that I think has just permeated all elements of pop culture. It's been in plenty of ghost stories. We're talking about Wendigos. John, how did you first hear about the Wendigo? Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that they've really permeated through everything because I hadn't heard about Wendigos until a few years ago. Um, I was playing a game made by, I don't know, some developer for PlayStation, but it's called Until Dawn, and it's one of those story-driven games where you basically just make choices. And the huge supernatural threat ended up being a pack of Wendigos in the northern Canadian mountains. I hadn't heard about it before, but I loved the way that the old, grizzled veteran dude who is hunting them just called them Wendigos. And I would say that all the time around my wife and she would get creeped out because she watched me play a bunch. But that's how I heard about them. Uh, since researching, I found that they are in a lot of different pop culture things. They're good monster of the week type material. Um, and there's some interesting things that I think will be fun to talk about and relate to yeah. as we get into this. Definitely. How about you? When did you first hear about the Wendigo? I think, so I think I've been aware of it for a long time and I can't honestly remember where it might've been campfire stories because, you know, so I've got family, we would go camping in Northern BC all the time. We have a cabin in Northern BC. I think that somehow that myth like kind of just permeated my brain uh, because like, I, I honestly can't remember a specific story. And the first time I actually like looked into it was somebody asked me to write a story about a Wendigo like a year and a half ago. And so I went and wrote like a short story and I had to do some research on it. So that's that's when I first started looking into this myth. And I was like, oh, that'd be that'd be cool to cover. And then we also got a request. I believe this one came from Twitter. I'm sorry, I honestly couldn't find it. But somebody suggested we do Wendigos and Skinwalkers in the same episode. And that is that would be like a two hour episode. So we'll do Skinwalkers at a later date. But we will do, we will do Wendigos today. Are, are Skinwalkers off the rails, though? Yeah, they will. They'll be in season three, which will be fully off the rails. Awesome. Uh, so that is interesting to me that you mentioned BC because in my research, I found that the Wendigo myth and sightings and all of these are a lot more on the East Coast uh, around Ontario, I think. So I think that it kind of permeates all the wilderness, though, like as long as it's mm -hmm. cold, if, it, if it's cold and remote, then that's true because that's like well, we'll get into it. But that's like that's the basis of the myth it comes from cold and starvation. Getting into it a little bit, the Wendigo or Wendigo, depending on where you look, comes from a variety a of, of places. Spells. Yeah, there's a lot of different stories and things like that. But the the most popular story of like how a Wendigo comes into being, there's one story in particular that talks about a lost hunter surviving a brutally cold winter 
uh, where his hunger drove him to cannibalism. And then after emerging from the forest, his hunger was insatiable and he went looking for other people to eat. Yeah. And that's kind of that first, very first Wendigo, right? Yeah. And that's like, that's an Algonquin myth originally. And they would talk about how weak spirited people uh, were possessed. And like, you know, one of the ways that you become dispirited or weak in general, like, so not just weak spirited, but like physically weak was starvation. And that was like a big threat in the winters up there. So it kind of makes sense. But then they also would say things like greed would, would turn you into a Wendigo. So it could just be, it could be undesirable personality characteristics like that. Generally things that would hurt the tribe were what would get you possessed by a Wendigo, Mm -hmm. which is, is, you know, kind of interesting. And again, makes sense. This is like the, the more and more I, I I read into this, it does sound like a myth that was born out of a way to, make people, I don't know, more beneficial to the tribe or like help avoid things that would stop them from surviving in harsh conditions. Which I feel like a lot of myths and monster stories are like that, right? Yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that, you know, like to keep people out of the forest because it would be dangerous to wander into the forest alone. And you think about like Grimm's fairy tales and stuff like that, they kind of have the same uh, general vibe behind them. But this one is... man. I mean, Those I guess fairy tales are pretty gruesome. They are dark. Yeah, they they are dark, and this one's dark too. So sorry about like I'll get into the Native American history, but just talking about the basics of what a Wendigo looks like, and this is pretty varied. But there's a couple of key like descriptions, and the first is describes that humans that look like they're wasting away, and like you know they their skin's drawn in, their bones are poking out, and they've got you know this like dark fire in their eyes. And they're likely to behave in odd ways consistent with possession. Other stories describe a Wendigo as a giant that gets larger the more it eats, kind of like Katamari Damacy. I've heard 15 feet tall, the height of a tree, about that, yeah. Yep. And I think that these are the ones that, at least when I was researching, these are the ones I saw because it looks like a bunch of different animals kind of sewn together, almost. Like you get horns from like a moose or something like that or antlers rather, but like the body of a man and cloven feet and just like really disgusting abominations. But then consistent across both these is like the sunken eyes that glow, sharp teeth, uh, and extremely foul odor, which is also shared with its cousin myth, Bigfoot. And that also kind of makes sense when you think about the idea of a predator and that predators have really stinky breath because they just eat a bunch of raw meat. Like they have very, predators in general have very stinky breath. Some some reports have them Wendigos possessing near psychic powers, but aside from the possession, I didn't find much of that in the native myths. I think in some of the ghost stories that I've seen, or just like general fictionalizations of the creature, they a lot of them talk about having psychic powers and almost being close to alien in nature. So that's like that's kind of interesting. I think that's maybe where it crosses over to stuff like Skinwalker Ranch. But I have read that they're very skilled at mimicking human voices. They don't really chase humans. They trick them and they're trickster cryptids that pull humans in and lull them into a false sense of security and then strike. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, it's it's interesting too. Like a lot of these myths I find center around how people become a Wendigo, but they don't necessarily center around like the Wendigo itself going after people. So it's 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 different in that sense where it's like, be careful or you might become one rather than the Wendigo will get you. Yeah, it's more of a, a concept and a symbol than an actual creature. One thing I did find that kept cropping up that I found interesting is this description that popped up in every single form of research that I, I chased down was by Basil S. Johnston in The Manatus, where it's gaunt to the point of emaciation, desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, 
uh, said bones pushing up against the skin. It has this ashy gray complexion of death. And then like you had said, eyes sunken down really deep in their sockets. So it, it makes sense for a creature that's always hungry. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's very interesting, right? So all these all these origins come down to basically when a human is in a state of famine and then they end up breaking the taboo of eating human flesh and then they just can't stop. And there's there's tons of stories from people in the Hudson's Bay Company from back in the day of encountering like indigenous spiritual leaders that would descend into what they call like fits of religious passion. It kind of sounds like the snake people uh, in the U.S. modern day, but like that, you know, these people would just become consumed by more so the idea of becoming a Wendigo than than like the need for human flesh. But eventually, they would turn into to cannibals. I don't know. It's interesting. Like almost everything I've read, I haven't found somebody saying like they saw a Wendigo. I've seen people saying that they saw somebody possessed by a Wendigo, but less less so the the second type, which is the the tall as a tree thing. Yeah, I tend to agree with that looking through my research there were there were only really three main sightings and one of them is more a collection of sightings than anything else so here we'll, we'll get into sightings in in one second i think because that's i mean honestly that's most of what i have about the origin of the myth is that it's just it's a cautionary it seems like a cautionary tale but the stories of people becoming possessed and having this cannibalistic intent actually led to a medical diagnosis for a while this is in the early 20th century so 1900s and it was it was a pretty wild time to be alive for psychology. You know, like even later into the 20th century, we were still like banging gongs next to babies, uh, tricking participants into thinking they'd killed people and then making prisons in the bottom of colleges and kidnapping students. So yeah, and, and I do think it's worth calling out for any listeners that you do have a master's in psychology. So you are pretty well versed in the history of the field and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, your shit. So yeah, I mean, especially the bad shit too. like. I, I was in experimental psychology, so I loved reading about all the things that people did that we can't do anymore uh, and just misdiagnosis in general. But suffice it to say, like the twenty, the early 20th century was not a great time for mental health. And so this originally came about because there was a woman who said that she saw strangers that were trying to kill and devour her. And rather than diagnosing the people who wanted to eat her, they labeled the woman as having psychoneurosis. So they, first they diagnosed her, but then... They started seeing more people talking about this, and they eventually came to this disease known as Wendigo psychosis. For, before you keep going, what is psychoneurosis for people like so me? I don't think that's actually a real thing anymore, to be honest, because I think that psychoneurosis, it sounds like, so a common thing that people would diagnose, mostly women with back in the day was hysteria. Like they would have these really general catch-all terms for mm. diagnosing people who are behaving kind of against the norm. I mean- this is also the time when we were prescribing like MDMA as an appetite suppressant. So would that fall under like postpartum depression? They would call just psychoneurosis. I mean, they, they might even just call that postpartum hysteria. Uh, <laughs> like, Interesting. Okay. But like psychoneurosis, I think that probably because this sounds like it involves hallucinations or paranoia, that might be what they labeled it as. Gotcha. But it sounds like a catch-all. So Wendigo psychosis was described as the urge to eat human flesh even when there's other food around and also this intense fear of becoming a cannibal. So it's pretty broad I and mean, it's likely bullshit and was was never vetted by any studies or anything like that. But, you know, Gizmodo wrote a story about it. So here we are. Uh, you know, clearly it's <laughs> it's caught on. You, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of in old cartoons and movies where one character, like if they're on a raft or something and 
one character looks at the other and instead of seeing another character, they see like a walking drumstick or something like that. And they just start foaming at the mouth and they want to eat their friend. And like yeah. that reminds me, that is what I think of when I think Wendigo psychosis. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, once you've tasted the flesh, <laughs> although it's it's really funny, like I know that we have some pretty high profile cases of people who tasted flesh once and then wanted to eat it again. But there's, there's I think there's probably an equal number of cases of people who had to resort to that and then never wanted to eat humans again. So it's just it's just a weird thing. But I think that the part that gets me about this diagnosis is this. idea. Sorry, sorry. Back up. We have multiple. I can think of one serial killer who wanted to eat people. We have multiple people who just enjoyed eating human flesh. Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's like the guy who Hannibal Lecter was based on. There's Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't have a ton of cannibals off the top of my head, but I think that that's a common one. And we're sure they weren't Wendigos? I mean, I think that Jeffrey Dahmer, like for sure, uh, if we're we're talking about Wendigos being real, Jeffrey Dahmer fits the bill pretty pretty well. But then, you know, there's that uh, soccer team in the Andes and they they didn't... uh, just eat a bunch of people afterward. So, you know, yeah, I guess, fair. guess not every, Wendigo didn't make it to South America. Well, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, one thing that like just popped in my head is the Donner party. They were in the Sierra mountains down in California slash. And that's one of those things that I'm kind of surprised. We never, I never saw any correlation there because, Hey, those are people that resorted to cannibalism because it was cold and that was their only option. So why weren't they Wendigos? Maybe it's just because they were too far south. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting, right? Because like, so this is very much so localized to the great white north, as it were. You know, as if we look at this, the 1920s really is when this starts to die off as modern civilization, as we know, it kind of creeps up. And Mm -hmm. like the native populations came into greater contact with Western settlers and it just sort of died away. But one thing I think is worth mentioning is in the stories I read later, the Wendigo started taking on different characteristics that weren't just due to cold or cannibalism. Like when I had read about it, the Wendigos also are fond of uh, drinking. Hmm. So like, like in, in the story I wrote, I had like this, this old guy who was just slagging a bunch of beers uh, because they like they're described as these very greedy creatures and they just like like to drink. And I was like, well, that kind of checks out as something that in the modern world, that's now a problem you'd want people to avoid. So you would append that to the myth. Gotcha. I really like that. That short story, by the way, that was very enjoyable. Well written. Yeah, I'll, I'll post that on my website when this comes out. I have two short stories about Wendigos. I'll put them both on the front page with links to this podcast. So if you go to MacAshton.com, you can read either of them. Also, if you follow us on Instagram, I will include them in our next post. There you go. See, at Cryptids Decrypted. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Uh, The only thing I had down here was their weaknesses. Pretty universally, Wendigos are killed with fire, uh, usually by melting their icy heart. Pretty poetic. And then shamans can also dispel them like an exorcism. And I think that uh, you have some sightings pertaining to to shamans, quote unquote, dispelling them. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's there's one. Yeah. Um, Which isn't... I've thought about that a lot, and it's not really a sighting as much as it is. It's definitely murder. something to out, but it will, yeah, it's it's murder. But the first documented case, I will say, uh, was back in 1636. Paula June was a Jesuit missionary from Paris, and he reported back to I don't know his handlers. What do you, what do you call that? His his church about a Wendigo having eaten some of the tribesmen he was with. There wasn't a lot more detail after that. But it was back in 1636, a long, long time ago. So it, it is pretty wide ranging. Uh, like I had said, Basil H. Johnston 
documented what they look like in the manatus, and that's been pretty widely spread and utilized as uh, a major depiction. Which also, I, I did read up that some Native Americans are not happy with how Hollywood has flipped these these creatures. They they think that they are humanoid. They don't have antlers and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was that was weird. They they felt pretty sure about that. But sorry, tangent over. Back to the sightings. Yeah. Uh, in the the major one that we really have is. This guy named Swift Runner. In 1878, this guy was snowed in. He was 25 miles away from Hudson Bay, like you had mentioned earlier. So in the grand scheme of things, really not that far away. Probably a two-day trek both ways. Supplies, not at all a problem. He butchered his wife and five kids and ate them all. That is the first major example of Wendigo psychosis we can really see. And as you stated, food really wasn't that much of a problem. And yet he resorted to not just killing one person, but everybody. And he ate everybody. Yeah, and he wasn't like a, that wasn't his first time either. That guy, Swift Runner, so years or years before that, he had been forced to eat a fellow hunter to survive starvation. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, I think that's the idea is he got the taste then. And then, yeah. like, he, from what I read, he was like, he had, he had started working in the town after that, after he had eaten his first person, but he became like a pretty trustworthy guide. He became really fond of alcohol and was eventually ostracized from his community because he was causing too much trouble. And so that's when he moved out into isolation with his uh, wife, mother, brother, and six children, which is just, and then, then of course, then he ate them all. But he, like, he, I think he even tried to tell the police that uh, he's, like, that we were running low on food and then they just didn't buy it because he was so close. Huh. Yeah, that, that part I didn't really catch, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, when they went there, they just found remnants of a fire with piles of bones and human skulls scattered around. And even a, a small moccasin had been stuffed inside the skull of his mother uh, with a beating needle still sticking out of the unfinished, like, work. So, yeah, it was it was fucked. I was surprised that these details were there. But, like, yeah, so, you know, that's when the Wendigo got him. Man, that's a very well-written police report back in the 1800s. Yeah, I wonder. You gotta wonder how many uh, how many additions were made over the over the years to that. <laughs> no, it's very, it's very specific. It, it pff, the beads still sticking out. Like, why do we know that? That's wild. Anyway, the next documented case we have is a guy named Jack Fiddler. This was the early 1900s, and this was a shaman who specialized in killing wendigos. Uh, he was not possessed by a Wendigo himself, but he was out there murdering people that he thought was. Uh, this led to him being arrested for homicide, and he ended up killing himself in jail. He actually, he escaped. Like, he managed to run away and then hung himself. Yeah, so not even in jail, but yeah, he, maybe, maybe he realized that you shouldn't just be killing people? I don't know. Yeah, that, I mean, like, that, that, that's one that makes me scratch my head. It's weird, because he, he killed so many. Like, mm-hmm. it was enough that he got a reputation for being, uh, what, what did they call it? Because they didn't call it murder, obviously. It, it was like he was dispelling Wendigos or something to that effect. And yeah, and he was just murdering people. Yeah, he he had to kill, I think, his own brother. <sighs> yeah, 
So, or no, he didn't do it, but his own brother had been killed after turning Wendigo. So he had a family history with it. Jesus Christ. It was the Canadian police heard about his prowess and arrested him. And it was, <laughs> this was actually like one of the first cases of Canada enforcing laws on the native people. This is, this is when they decided to say, okay, you know what? We can't just have people murdering people around here. Like we're going to come in and we're, we're going to have like a proper trial about this. I wonder if he murdered somebody off tribal lands or something. And that finally brought it to other jurisdiction. Maybe. Sorry, I've been watching Stumptown uh, with Kobe Smolders. So Stumptown is an awesome show with Kobe Smolders and I think his name is Michael Easley, where it's a detective show based out of Portland and it's awesome. And there's just a huge tie-in with the the native tribe here that doesn't exist. As someone who lives in Portland, it's it's weird. Um, Like they talk about jurisdiction between tribal lands and like, Portland PD all the time. And so I could be totally off base and Hollywoodized, but that's where my mind goes. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder like, yeah, cause this was like, I know that they, they originally weren't enforcing it. And I mean, Canada has like a pretty rough history with like, with, with native peoples. And I mean, granted, so, so do we all, so do all Western settlers, but fucking wild, wild myths. It, it man, you got that right. Um, and then the last thing that I really have is there were a number of appearances of Wendigos near a town called Rosesu in northern Minnesota. This was between the late 1800s and the 1920s. After every reported sighting, an unexpected death followed. So they attributed those to Wendigos. And then in the 1920s, it just stopped. And then um, following that, in northern Ontario, there's this place called the Cave of the Wendigo, Sightings are still reported around there, but I mean, anything around the town of Kenora, Ontario, Kenora, Ontario is considered the Wendigo capital of the world. It's one of those things where I feel like if you see any shadowed creature, you're going to be like, oh, that's a Wendigo. And you've got people who are there to look for Wendigos. There's also a Wendigo Lake in Wisconsin and a Lake Wendigo in Chippewa National Forest in Minnesota. So I think it's interesting that you have two different lakes in two different states named after Wendigos. Yeah, it's it's like... They're kind of everywhere. And so one thing I will say, too, about, like, you know, there's not a lot of modern day sightings that are specifically Wendigo, but there are definitely some Internet theories. Like, have you ever read about the National Park's disappearances, John? I have not. Care to inform me? <laughs> maybe you uh, maybe you should read this before uh, camping ever again or not. So it's it's kind of terrifying. There is there's. There's a few stories in particular, but like National Park's disappearances, there is there's just thousands of them that are unsolved cold cases and some of them are like these horrible massacres where like entire families are found dead there's there's a couple of people that believe that a lot of these disappearances are due to wendigos because of the way the bodies are found uh like you know basically mutilated and eaten which it it sounds a lot like bear attacks yeah i was gonna say like that's a black brown bear but if you, if you go ones. down these holes, I'll send you I'll send you some articles or like the Reddit threads. But there there's some real, Man, real creepy coincidences right now. Do you really want me to read that while I'm planning a camping trip? for? You July? got you got two months. Uh, you got two months to get over it. You know, you need to look up like the Cowden family massacre. We have one one guy in our party that we can we can sacrifice. I'm pretty sure I can run faster than him. These 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 people, they were having a picnic on Labor Day and then their entire family just disappeared and their bodies were discovered. Gosh, a year like later. How far away? How far away from where they disappeared were the bodies discovered? Oh, uh, the actually says uh, about 100 feet from the campsite. So this is a year later. Richard's body was found tied to a tree while the bodies of his wife and two small children were found in a cave with rocks sealing the entrance. Tied to a tree? 
Yup. With what? Don't know. Just says tied to a tree. Jesus. Um, and there's like, it's a lot of, I, so there's, there's just a lot of these and, you know, a lot of them too are knocked up to serial killers. But if we're going with the original definition of what a Wendigo is, then it's a, uh, it could be people possessed by the Wendigo hanging out in the forest. Absolutely. So yeah, if anybody wants some creepy reading that will definitely keep you up, look up the National Parks Disappearances and have a good time. And I'm sorry. I'm not going to put that on our Instagram. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> uh, speaking of bears, though, there was a... Uh, bear just cruising the streets in downtown Gresham this week. Hey man, that's what you get when you get that uh, that corona environment when nobody else is out. Bears come in. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gresham opened back up. Oh, huh. And it's They're in their own county, man. Anyway. <sighs> Pop culture? Pop culture. So, like we said, kind of at the top of the hour, the top of the show, Wendigos have been everywhere in pop culture. The first thing I want to talk about is something that I didn't even catch. And I knew about Wendigos. I had a general understanding. I love Stephen King. The monster from Pet Cemetery. In the book and the new movie uh, the, that came out in 2019. I don't know about the old movie. I never saw it. But uh, the this is a spirit that lived right outside the haunted graveyard. That possessed and influenced this this guy to resurrect. Spoilers? Should I give spoilers here? I mean, we just do a spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Skip a skip like one minute ahead. Yeah. Um, anyway, so when he resurrects his son, he was very much influenced by the Wendigo to do so after he had resurrected his cat. So I thought that was interesting. The Wendigo has been featured in numerous Marvel comics throughout the years. The Hulk and Wolverine have both fought it. And then we get into shows. The Wendigo has been a monster of the week on Grimm. Supernatural, Charmed, uh, one of the serial killers in Hannibal, which I am told is an excellent show coming back to Netflix, was influenced by the Wendigo. It was in Sleepy Hollow, and then it even had an episode centered on it in X-Files. Moving into movies, there was a movie made in 2001 called just Wendigo. Uh, the whole thing about this movie is the creature may or may not be may or may not be real. It's left up to the viewer to decide after the credits roll if you think it was actually there. It was directed by a guy named Larry Fessenden, who is a huge fan of the Wendigo myth. I don't know if he's a huge believer or not, but he's actually directed another movie. I think it's called The Last Winter, or it's called Man Eater. But he has two movies under his belt, all dedicated to the Wendigo. Uh, In 1999, there was a movie called Ravenous, where cannibalism gives people super strength. That revolves around that Wendigo myth. And then, like I had mentioned, 2006, The Last Winter has a Wendigo in it. Moving to video games, like I had mentioned uh, when I started this whole thing, Until Dawn centers around the Wendigo myth in the Canadian mountains. That's the whole supernatural twist. In Final Fantasy VIII, there are some weird-looking strong monsters called Wendigos, but they don't really resemble the mythos at all. They're like huge, stocky giants. It's weird. Um, and then finally, in Fallout 76, which takes place in West Virginia and is post-nuclear winter, which is kind of weird. So it's like they're more ghouls than they are Wendigos. There are a number of Wendigo-type monsters uh, based on the amount of radiation they've succumbed to. Uh, these are fast with sharp claws. It's Interesting because they actually look like what the myth is described, but I don't know. It doesn't really fit in the setting. It's funny because they also have Mothman in Do 76. They really? Yeah, they, I think they, they made a big deal of having Mothman in there, yeah, which is something we, we still got to do because I think he's on the he's on the damn coasters. 
He's in the he's in the logo. Yeah, I'm excited to do Mothman. Did yeah. you ever send me coasters? I don't think I have sent you coasters yet. I didn't buy any myself. I just found out that my stepmom bought like 30 and put them in all the Christmas stockings. Ashton, where can I buy some cryptid decrypted coasters? That's a that's a good question. I always forget that we have a merch shop. It is it is somewhere. Hold on, let me. All right, so here's how you can find uh, cryptids decrypted merch. Uh, you know, unfortunately, because I'm not very like brand oriented, it's also got a bunch of random merch with my cat and and God my book it. merch. You go to redbubble.com/people/macashton. Uh, I'll put a link. Uh, really though, don't, don't feel like you need to buy anything. Cause there's some, there's some real weird shit on here. Like turns out that you can put just about anything on a mini skirt. And so, you know, I, I've done that. So, so getting back on the rails after we've hawked our merch, uh, thank you Cajun tech for keeping us honest. I know you didn't really necessarily want to be a part of this podcast, but you are now. Oh, you're here now. Yeah, you're here now. And I mean, honestly, like you've made us better. Like we, we take your feedback. We might we might we might have shit on it a little bit, but we definitely take your feedback and, and we'll we'll be better. Hey hey, we, we dropped our third member again, so we're, Yeah, we, we're we got rid of Tyler. You're welcome. Getting getting back to the, the main line here. Truth or bullshit on this one, and I think it's 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 not as simple as the other ones are. Yeah, because it's more of a spirit. Um, I think it's it, it's interesting that things have stopped since the eighteen twenty or the nineteen twenties, but I also think that we're a lot more prepared, we're a lot more connected. You know, I'm more inclined to think that the concept of the Wendigo is a spirit versus actually turning into an emaciated 15-foot creature in the forest is a thing because people succumb to greed so easily. You have upstanding citizens and upstanding people who are fine one minute and then they have a taste of power and a taste of of wealth the, the next and then they just flip. So maybe that is the Wendigo just enticing them with greed and yeah. twisting their mind. Yeah, I think that... So this one, um, for me, I think the big thing is that if it's if it's real in the mind, it can be it, it can even manifest itself in the body, right? So this idea that people would be so scared of these stories because they ring so true, because starvation is such a prominent factor, and then they they think once they've eaten human flesh, they're going to get a taste for it, and so they do act possessed. Like I 100% believe that, and I think that that is is not that far of a leap to make. And just that in general, people people will often say psychosomatic to dismiss something, and just because something's psychosomatic doesn't mean it's any less real to the person experiencing it. And it, in, in a way, it's kind of like depression or anxiety or something like that, right? Because if you're experiencing it, it's it's real to you. And somebody else might be able to look at the situation objectively and say, you know, like, oh, that's crazy. You shouldn't feel that way. But in the moment, it's so it's real to your bones. So I get that. Like in the same way that I'm afraid I'm going to get hit by a car anytime I go outside, like I totally get that somebody could feel that they were going to become a cannibal and be afraid of that. And so that to me makes this myth really real. Good point. I have a friend who commented one time where he's like, man, I can't believe Robin Williams killed himself. Like if anybody... And I told him, you, you obviously do not have depression because... Because it's, it's so... Like, it, it does. These, these, these feelings you have are so real and it can seem so crazy from the outside. But that, to me, makes this whole... It gives this whole idea of the myth credibility. I also don't believe in a, you know, 10-foot-tall, whatever, tree creature. But I, like, the idea of people thinking they're possessed and truly believing it and, you know, acting evil, that I believe. That's, that sounds human to me. So, in that sense... I would say this is one of the more real myths that we've looked into. Absolutely. 
Cool. Well, Ash, what's next? Yeah, what is next? Well, I think we're doing Guns, Guns of, of El Chupacabra. Chupacabra. Cryptids, Cryptid Cinema. And then um, we don't really have a topic for Cryptid Royale yet, but I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah, it'll be it'll a be surprise. a surprise even to us, I'm sure. Dude, we got to figure out where to watch this movie. <laughs> I wouldn't shoot for three weeks yet. Oh, we may yeah. Have to, we may have to order this bootleg DVD from China that could take three months to get here. We'll, we'll find no it. Idea. If we have to get coronavirus to get our hands on this DVD, we won't do that. But like anything <laughs> else, we won't. <laughs> That's it for this week. Thanks as always for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Hey, if you know, if you like that sweet somber intro music, I made that. You know, because I got off my ass and played an instrument again. I get it. It's a little somber and it's a humorous podcast, but you know, every, everybody's got to experiment with some stuff. We're gonna have that uh, Guns of El Chupacabra episode out. I'm guessing in about three weeks. Those tend to be a bit faster for us, but you know, who knows? It's crazy times. Like, they, they might reopen uh, restaurants in that time being, and I might have to go get a beer, and that might slow things down. Anyways, I hope that you're all staying uh, healthy and you're staying safe. Just remember, wash your hands, and we'll see you in, uh, we'll see you in a bit. Thanks.